everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. Lately, I've been trying to uh, find guests that represent something I know a lot of you really like, a piece of pop culture I haven't explored yet. And I know I I was trying to cut Beth's book club down to once a month, but Caroline Calloway didn't see coming. And I was actually going to save today's interview for my mat leave, but I was too excited about it and had to play it now because I'm kind of in this moment of, um, I don't know, like, especially I'm not allowed to travel right now. And I think being like now so like tethered with child, it's just making me very nostalgic for the summers of yesteryear. I rewatched the summer. I turned pretty. I've been reading a lot of like summer based romantic books. And I know so many of you are such big Emily Henry fans, or as many of you called her when I put this in the question box, M Hen, love the BFF status. Uh, and I've read Beach Read ba- a while back that I got through Book of the Month when they were a sponsor. And um, I hadn't picked up her other titles until the past month or so. And I have just been tearing through these. My God, I love a romance. I love a romantic comedy. You know, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. They are just simply pleasures. And I don't believe that we should trivialize something just because of, of genre or category. These books are important in their own way. And for me, this has been the most important escapism <laughs> during this time in my life where I just for a moment feel young again. I think of traveling again. I remember the lore of genuinely thinking every goddamn year it would be the year that I would find a vacation boyfriend when I never, ever talked to a stranger ever, not once. But I bought the toe rings. I I bought the Katie's parking only signs. And I went to Mid-Atlantic generic boardwalk beach USA and hoped for the best, as we've talked about so many times. And I think Emily Henry books kind of restore that fictional faith for a moment that I really held back in the Mary Kate Ashley days, which I asked her if she's a fan of too, um, that maybe I'll go on vacation and be a new woman, a different person, if only for a week. And I just read Happy Place and really, really enjoyed it. I, especially for fiction, like for me, my barometer of I'm not a very thorough reviewer. Maybe I should be, but I'm like, was I entertained? Check yes or no. And I was so entertained throughout this. And I Loved the backdrop of of Maine and the story with the friends. And um, I am talking fast, so I want to get to the interview because I'm not the most important part of this. But um, yeah, today we're interviewing Emily Henry. If you're not familiar with her, she is an insanely successful author who's written a lot of novels. She started in YA and then moved to like kind of a more romance, romantic comedy type category. And I think her four best known books um, are Beach Read. People We Meet on Vacation, Book Lovers, and most recently, Happy Place. Those have come out the past four years. And three of the four have already been optioned for film. I mean, she's crushing it. And uh, they have those like really bright cartoonish covers and are just like candy-coated summary goodness that is kind of lighthearted and easily digestible. But her, her female characters have depth and they are flawed. And I think she covers a lot of millennial adjacent themes I really like and wanted to explore in this conversation. Um, and back in April, her uh, publisher reached out asking, you know, if I would be interested in having her come on to talk about Happy Place. And um, we scheduled it for now. And we talk about other things too, but I do want to warn you that like Happy Place, I wanted to fulfill my end of the bargain. Like we, I wanted to talk about the book she's specifically still promoting. And if you haven't read it, 
There are some spoilers. I try not to do, <laughs> I do warn you for the big one that you can skip ahead, but maybe read that first if you want to. But otherwise the conversation is kind of more broad about the theme she covers in her book. And, um, you know, I apologize in advance that at one point she's like therapizing me through experiencing my <laughs> first book reviews. I'm a monster. It's like, I don't want to be like, by the way, I have a book too. And that wasn't really the point, but I think we have so much overlap in the things we like that I wanted to kind of share that I, I understand so much of what she's saying. We talk about all sorts of fun things from millennial on weed to, uh, you know, the logistics of Beach Read and where January and Gus are situated in her imagination, uh, having books option for movies, uh, vacation boyfriends, effortless women. Uh, we talk about people pleasing. Uh, there's so many good topics here. I think you'll really enjoy this interview. At least I very much did. And uh, even if you haven't read the books yet, I think you probably will after this because she, I really just appreciate her brain and the way she thinks and the topics she tries to cover to represent the millennial plight. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Emily Henry. And if you want to hear my thoughts on Speak Now, Taylor's version that's coming out any minute now, uh, go to patreon.com slash be there in five, where I'll do like my initial reactions like solo as I usually do this weekend. And then I have a special guest coming on to review it in more depth next week that I think you guys will be excited about. So anyway, enjoy this interview with Emily Henry. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be talking to you. Me too. I love your earrings. Oh, thank you. I um I gotta say, I've on a binge of your books, I'm eight months pregnant. I am not having a hot girl summer and I need the oh. escapism and I'm so grateful for you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so glad that they're helping. I like yeah, I cannot imagine. I have one of my really good friends is pregnant right now and just like the heat and the humidity and the stickiness and the sleeplessness. That's so much. So I'm glad they were a little escape for you. Oh my gosh, the best. I I already started recording. I hope that's okay. I'll give yeah, you a, I'll set you yeah. up with a separate intro. Cool. Um, I'm so excited to be talking to you for so many reasons. So my podcast Be There in 5 is very rooted in the female millennial zeitgeist and I feel like from what I know about you, we've been raised in the same pop culture universe <laughs> from yeah. Nora Ephron and Nancy Myers. Even like I've heard you in passing in an interview, like make a Renesmee reference, which I just like appreciate. <laughs> yes, that is true. Yeah, I feel like Renesmee is something that brings the whole generation together. <laughs> yes. um, and I already wonder if like, I don't know if Gen Z... I assume they know who Renesmee is. I assume they've seen the terrifying prop dolls, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> I know. It's, um, I think it's like a very millennial name of like wanting to carve out a sense of uniqueness. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. It's so wild. I don't know if anyone, I wonder, there have to be Renesmees in the world. There have to be re post-Twilight Renesmees. Um, <laughs> but I think even at the time reading that and like, high school or college whenever I read it being like this is not a good name. right <laughs> even at the time I was like aware some something went off in my brain like this is not a good idea right like you didn't lose me at like Forks's uh, you know hottest 103 year old vampire but you lost yes. me with the compound yes. name <laughs> oh my gosh uh, yeah there were there were a lot of questions by the end of that series but you know what I had a great time it's, it's all that matters all that matters yeah um, this is probably like the least important lead question I could lead with, but I just was so curious reading your book and I took a lot of audience questions because people freaked out when I told them I was interviewing you. And, um, I think 
a lot of people were curious because you do banter so brilliantly. Are you a Gilmore Girls fan? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, when you were naming all of the references and all of the things that sort of raised like a very, I don't even think, I think it's like such a, it's like a narrower slice of millennials maybe even, but that was so, um, iconic. I feel like at that time, like the early two thousands. And I do feel like that show taught me like how to be funny basically. And so um, it's not like I'm ever aiming to replicate that. I think that it really was, I like built my personality, <laughs> like Same. a top Lorelai Gilmore. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I want to be her. Yeah. I think for a person who's like chatty and loves to reference pop culture. And it was a kind of a show ahead of its time that like, she didn't lead yeah. with, she was beautiful, but she didn't lead with her beauty. She was most acknowledged for her personality, which felt like yeah. revelatory in 2002. <laughs> yeah, I know it did. And I mean, like, even though obviously in some ways it's sort of like a dual rom-com like unfolding for both of them I do feel like I have to I've never checked but I have to assume it passed the Bechdel test (laughs) even at that time because it's just like most of the time it's it was just two women on screen talking to each other yes exactly I love that well and kind of I mean not unlike Stars Hollow I feel like one of my favorite elements of well especially romance romantic comedy type of genre is like the location being a character itself yeah and I feel like that's a big theme in your books and I was curious and a lot of people were too that asked questions like do you is it the character first the location first and do you go on site to write like kind of how do you choose these locations that become characters because I'm fresh off of happy place and still craving a lobster roll oh my gosh relatable (laughs) um Yeah. So normally I actually do start with setting and that hasn't been the case every single time, but usually I am excited about a certain setting. And when I'm thinking about it, I can kind of find the tone of the story that matches that setting and um, the characters kind of come out of the tone of the story and, you know, what their arc will be. So that um, that is the usual way. There are exceptions, I think, with with book lovers. Nora, the narrating character, was like the very first thing and everything was kind of built around her. And I do I don't write like on location, but I do take research trips and like take notes and, um, you know, like take a lot of like pictures that are not good pictures. They will never be looked at again <laughs> after drafting the book. But um, yeah, like with Happy Place specifically, that one was kind of interesting because with every other book I've written. I've chosen settings that I'm already familiar with and have some attachment to or memories of or whatever. And with Happy Place, I chose a place that I wanted to go. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah. I know I'll be taking a research trip. Um, so why don't I just choose an, a setting that I am excited about but haven't actually been? And my editor is from Maine. And so I knew she would be able to kind of catch all of the little details that make a place feel um accurate because mm-hmm. you know it's so easy to if you're just doing all of your research off of google it's like so easy <laughs> to get things wrong that locals are going to call out and so i knew i had that safety net and then i also was like i really want to go to maine and honestly part of it was that i was watching a lot of murder she wrote which harriet also is a fan yes. of in the book um and i think i like sneaked this into the book itself but it turns out that is absolutely not filmed in maine it's filmed around san francisco <laughs> um but going to maine it was really i don't know it was really interesting seeing how much 
it did kind of mirror like the Pacific Northwest, which I'm much more familiar with, while also having its own completely different vibe and different food and all of that. So yeah, it's like it it's this place is really exciting to me. And I, again, I do think it started probably with with Gilmore Girls and things like that. And just, you know, all the books I was reading as a kid, too, which were largely fantasy, but still setting has always been so important. And when you think about one of your favorite stories and you feel like you want to be back inside of that, a lot of times what you're thinking of is the setting. And um, realizing that has helped me hone in on or home in on, sorry, I just panicked and said the wrong one, <laughs> home in on um, the experience of crafting a really uh, palpable setting because I understand now that it's so important to me as a reader to um, to really love something. There has to be this sense of place where I just like long for it, where I just want to be there. I just want to up and move there. Um, and yeah, so there's a lot of setting work that goes into my drafting and editing. Well, what's great about it too is you capture um, kind of the tendency for us us to attach to things that are kind of ordinary, but f- to you they're extraordinary because yeah. they're in this place and kind of like Murder She Read, you know. Yeah, that's one of my favorite small town things are punny shop names. Yeah, <laughs> like- and there are some really strange ones. Um, the I was driving home from Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and I don't remember. It was somewhere in Ohio, I think. And there was just like a strip mall. And I don't know what the business was because it was kind of in the distance. But the sign said, that's what she shed. <laughs> and I was like, wow, wow, that is amazing. Yeah, just like Honey, some random town I've never been to. It, modern Confusing. yet a little dated. Like just yes. watch The Office energy. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it maybe it has been around for a while. I don't know what the business was. I had so many questions. I forgot to Google it immediately. Um, but yeah, I think it's what you said, like, those things are real and they are ordinary to a person who isn't hyper observant. And I I kind of think what makes a person into a writer is just like a natural tendency to like really, really notice things, observe them to notice what is interesting about a person, um, what's strange about a place and just constantly kind of when you constantly kind of feel like you're cataloging the world around you, trying to like, make sense of it a little bit and um there are things that it's just it would be easy to like notice oh that's weird and then it just passes through your mind and you never think about it again but they're like you know like beach read is like a good example there's the baker at the donut shop who like bakes in his underwear and that was a real thing and a lot of people who are familiar with that donut shop read that then you know flipped back and saw I had like a connection to their to their home state and messaged me and were like I know which donut shop you're talking about I know this man who bakes in his underwear and like you know it's weird while it's happening but like I think I have that fixation thing where I'm just like this has to be we have to talk about this more we have to to talk about this man baking in his underwear this is like so delightfully wonderfully weird yes I, I I That's what I like in a writer or in any sort of creator is like having the shelving for details. Like I will miss huge things, but I will hold on to. Yes. I really um, appreciated how much detail went into that. And in Beatry specifically, what I loved is, so I I married a guy that went to University of Michigan who's like, Michigan people love Michigan. Oh, yes. (laughs) I know. It's so like I was talking to someone recently who I met not in Michigan 
and everybody who was it was in it was in St. Louis and uh, it was a bookseller and everyone around them was sort of like, oh, this person loves Michigan. And I, I was like, do you feel that you have a spiritual connection to Lake Michigan? And they were like, yes, I do. And I was like, correct. <laughs> correct. Yes. My husband was so excited because it's kind of an ongoing bit where he calls Michigan a tropical paradise. I grew up on the East Coast, so I can be yeah. a bit of an ocean snob relative to lakes. And I'm yeah. like, uh, travel. Okay, interesting. Like he's like, no, Traverse City. Like you have to see it. Whatever. And you um, do have to see it. <laughs> and then I, when I was reading this, like, you know, it's called Beach Read, and I, you know, it's in this like objectively on the cover. You can tell it's in this beautiful vacation setting. And he was like yeah. beside himself that your like the debut tropical setting of I a Beach know. Read was Western Michigan. And honestly, like I didn't get it till I went, but it is kind of an ocean. It's so charming i live in chicago now and yeah. it's a big part oh, of yeah. my life and yeah. what is like is north bear shores based on a specific location it was sort of um an amalgam of um saga talk and holland and grand haven and all of that sort of part of the state but you said traverse city and i'm an, i'm newer like i've only i've been to traverse city a few times actually kind of a lot in the last probably eight years and Traverse City has become one of my favorite places and um, one of my best friends lives there and so when I visit she'll like take me to what she calls Secret Beach because there's all this for for those who don't know there's all this national lakeshore that's just preserved mm -hmm. land and so it's just you can go to any beach wherever up north like you can just drive around and if there's a beach that's not like connected to someone's house you're probably good to use it and going to this little kind of nook on um, Lake Michigan up on the peninsula, there's like uh, sort of like cliff sides on either side of you and you're kind of hemmed in. And it really looks like you could be in like Puerto Rico or something mm -hmm. like the water is just pristine and green, which I did recently find out is actually a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> due to oh, an invasive no. species oh, no. um that's like cleaning the lake too much like people brought their boats without washing them and so they brought these like species that are over cleaning the lake it's a whole thing oh. but yeah i love i am such a lake michigan truther even while being like i guess i need to stop doing this because out of curiosity i did make the mistake of pulling up zillow while in traverse city and was like wow i could get a much nicer house in los angeles than i could get in traverse city like everybody is moving to traverse city I, when I went there too, I thought I like had found something that like no one else yeah. knew about. Yeah, same. We went like wine tasting on like the Leelanau Peninsula. Yeah. And I was like, is this the Napa of the Midwest? Like, what are we doing in Chicago? And yeah, then you find out like Mario Batali lives. I mean, like, yeah, it's kind of Madonna's grandparents yes. or parents own a own a winery there on Leelanau. Yes. Yeah. It's not affordable, but no, lovely nonetheless. I so I, I loved the um, Midwestern energy of beach read. Yes. This is su such a specific question about that book, but I know other people are curious too. When you imagine um, Gus and uh, January's houses, when January is, okay, if we're looking at the lake, is January looking left or right to see Gus? Um, I do have an answer. I know this is a hotly debated topic and it makes me wonder if I read back through it, if I did at some point change it, because in my mind, it's so clear. But I am not going to answer because <laughs> this is like my little ploy with the universe to make sure the Beach Read movie actually gets made. Mm. Is that we'll wait and the movie will decide once and for all which side it's each is on. Like I have input that I will be giving to Yulene, but I also don't know how things work. 
like maybe it'll change because of that. So I'm going to wait and hope that the universe cares enough to make that movie happen. I think we all care enough to make that movie happen. I'm willing to wait. In my in my world, I don't see a planet where we're not looking left. But that's Wait, so what is your I what is your I'm not going to confirm or deny, but I So you're looking at I'm looking at the lake on her deck. Yeah. And when and, and when I'm looking for Gus, looking in his window or the "You belong with me" signs, I am looking yeah. left. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm curious to hear what other podcast listeners think because, like, <laughs> yeah, I somebody brought it up to me and I was like, "Oh, I didn't know that was up for debate." But then I realized you never explicitly said it. <laughs> yeah, well, I know I'm really intrigued because somebody did once send me like a whole or no, they somebody made a video and they're like, "Here's why I think this," and they read different sections from the book and I was like, yeah, that's all my logic. But the fact that so many people don't follow my logic makes me think there's got to be stuff that is like, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't reread the whole book, so I maybe need to do that and see if I have it swapping at one point. But in my head, it was always on one specific side. That's um, what I love about getting into authors prior to their adapt their film adaptation. Yeah. Because it, it is interesting how you are so certain of details that are never actually told to you. (laughs) I know. And I think that's one thing that's really interesting, kind of going down the adaptation route, because as a huge reader, obviously I've always had very strong feelings about film adaptations. And now to be on the other side of it, I'm realizing like, oh, it really is a different thing. So I guess if the, if the movie settles it one way or another, and it's not the same way that I read it, maybe I will tell people because I really have learned like, oh, th- the reason that we're making the movie isn't just like, we need to make this book come to life, which is part of it. That's like, I think how readers think of it. But the people working on it are thinking of it as, oh, we love this book. And I, too, am an artist. And here's my art. And yeah. I specifically want to, like, collaborate with this piece of art, basically. And so it's really interesting to be like, oh, yeah, everybody has skin in the game. Everybody has a stake. Everybody has a vision. And it really is like, one version of the story but it's not replacing or even trying to be exactly the same thing as the book because the book already exists and it's never going to change or hopefully go away um and yeah I've kind of been like thinking a lot about all of like the Batman movies and how there's just like a new Batman every four (laughs) and a half years (laughs) and I've been thinking of it more like that now where I'm like okay there will be a Gus in a January but it won't be the Gus in January it'll be a Gus in January and we'll see what those actors bring to the table and and like they'll be great and they won't be what probably any of us imagined because well I didn't picture anyone so I kind of you know (laughs) it definitely won't be who I imagined because I did not imagine anyone I, I mean, yeah, I so many people were asking about casting and I figured you couldn't or wouldn't say anything on the matter. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just I I I have a book coming out in January, not nonfiction, Yay! but um I just think about uh the amount of creative control you have while writing. Like you have an editor, but they're yeah. they they want you they want your authority over. They want right. your vision to come to life. And thinking about creative collaboration in, in a different medium. I don't know. It it gives me anxiety just thinking about it. Yes. Well, and that's why you kind of have to be like, okay, this isn't my thing. This is my and 40 other people's thing because it, you, you literally have to, because it's going to be whether you let it go or not, but you're so right. It's like, I love all of the, um, creative, like 
visionaries that I am working with on all of these things. I love them and I think they're so smart and I trust them and, and all of that. But it isn't just like a group of artists even. It's like a group of artists and like a group of people who like just have opinions. Right. <laughs> and they're like, sign the checks, whatever. Um, and it is so chaotic to the point that I'm just like, I cannot believe a single movie has ever been made seeing what it's like for exactly the reason that you're describing. And I was talking to a writer friend who had been thinking about trying to move into um, film and TV and, and decided not to specifically because she had all these film and TV friends who were talking about the exact thing you're talking about, where it's just sort of like you can, you know, you can do whatever you're going to do. But even like if you're making something you're really proud of, usually it's not even going to get made. Like you're, you might be getting paid right. for it enough to pay your rent or your mortgage or whatever. But like you can go years and years where you're writing things that are not getting made because of how like the industry works and just realizing like you are not the boss. Like the, the, the artist creating it is not the boss. Right. Unless you are like a writer director who is like already famous and successful and people just like trust you. Um, but yeah, in, in publishing, that is one like very good thing that I don't think I fully appreciated is the fact that the, the writer really is the boss. Like you trust your editor, hopefully, and you want to take their notes and factor them in. But if you ever feel strongly about something, all you have to do is say, no, I disagree. Right. Like, okay, that's it. Right. Wait, so do I understand correctly that your last four books have all been optioned? Um, the first three have. Happy Place has not yet because, I mean, not because that sounds like it's a done deal. Um, <laughs> Happy Place, we're not allowing, we're not taking meetings or anything right now because the Writers Guild is on strike. Right, and okay. um, and I, yeah, just like kind of out of solidarity with them because, yeah. So so we are just kind of holding on to that right now and hoping that the Writers Guild will get what they're asking for yeah. soon. But I know we're all kind of just like buckled into maybe not have any tv for a while well do you do you know that they'll be film and not tv um the first three are the plan is for them to be film happy place again like anything could happen okay. but yeah the first three should be film and so. do you have any idea on what would come out first i you know this is like almost total speculation at this point for a while i was thinking that people we meet on vacation would come out first because everything kind of came together the most quickly for that one as far as like producers, director, writer, script, all of that. Um, but what I have learned again from being behind the scenes is like my director basically likes to say about people we meet on vacation, he's like, we are basically making a James Bond movie without James Bond because all of these locations that we have to like film on oh, like location. Yeah. So it's like yeah. a very expensive movie. And so everything has to be done exactly right. I mean, not like a very expensive movie. We're not like adding like CGI aliens and like Chris Hemsworth in a cape, <laughs> right. but, um, but not as, you know, not as affordable as the other movies, which are very contained in like small town settings and, so now I'm I'm thinking it could be book lovers um, because that also has a script and it's fantastic. We do not have a script yet for Vitreed again because we are waiting for the writer's strike to lift so that our writer can get to work on it. One of the um, themes of people we meet on vacation that I really loved and that I thought was um, carried over into Happy Place kind of in a different way is I believe what uh, Poppy calls millennial ennui. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, 
what my book was called one in a millennial and it's very much about the female millennial plight. And I, that's a big part of what I think is interesting about our generation is like growing up in this really traditional world with a lot of expectations. And then the world that greeted us when we grew up because of the internet, because of the economic situation, like was not the one we expected. And I just think that the expectations we set for ourselves or the burnout we get and like the inevitable process in your late twenties or thirties of being like, wait, do I still want this? Or Am I tethering myself to a goal I made out of context is so relatable. And I liked it in both scenarios and in happy place. um, I don't know why I didn't see it coming that spoiler alert, guys, um, (laughs) that uh, she would leave medicine. Um, I thought that was just like such a interest, such an interesting arc. What kind of made you explore that career arc for happy place? Well, I mean, I went back and forth for a long time about whether she would make that decision or not. And I'll speak vaguely in case anybody just did like a 30 second skip ahead to miss the spoiler. <laughs> but the decision that she did end up making, I was really, I did not know. I, I went back and forth. I thought, is this unrealistic? You know, this is, this is like a huge thing to do. Um, but the whole reason for the book really was that I am in this place in life that I think like most millennials are currently in right now because it's like, you know, your thirties, um, where my suddenly all of your friends can be in wildly different places, like physically, but also (laughs) emotionally and mentally. So, um, you know, it's not uncommon to have like multiple really close friends who have been married for like 10 years. And then also like close friends who are still like in dating app hell and close friends who have kids and close friends who have gotten vasectomies or hysterectomies because they've decided we're like, we're definitely not doing that. And same thing for career stuff. Like I, I have been, um, in publishing in some form now for like, um, almost 10 years and love it still and want to keep writing books forever. And I'm just like, wow, okay, here, here we go. But most of my friends are still kind of having, I don't know, like they're still having these waves of panic and growing pains of like, what am I supposed to be doing or what do I even want to be doing? And, you know, like I have a really close friend who's thinking about going back to school and I have close friends who during the pandemic like opened a bakery and then like closed the bakery also. We're like, nope, not that. Um and it's just really interesting how after so much of your life having these friendships that are sort of born of convenience even if that's not like all that they are they're born out of like being in the same place or liking the same things doing the same sports going to the same bars whatever mm. um to suddenly be in a place where your friendships are so much just based on this feeling, this love and this trust, and you don't have to have almost anything in common with each other anymore for it to matter, but you have to work so much harder at those friendships because it's like, well, we all have different schedules where we all live in different cities and all of that. And it was just really interesting to be like kind of in going through the pandemic and seeing all of my friends really evaluate their lives and ask the question of, am I happy? And what do I want? And some had really resounding, clear answers. And a lot of them were just like, I still don't know. And I think, you know, like you said, we grew up with really different expectations of what the world would be. Like, 
first of all, we really like bought into hustle culture really hard Mm -hmm. because I think like boomers were such a generation of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But like since their coming of age, the wealth gap has grown and grown and grown where it's like there's no such thing as like being born a lay person and ending Mm -hmm. up a billionaire. That's not happening. I'm sorry. Um, So there's like that whole piece of it of just like working so hard. But also I feel like our parents' generation were so like, this is my career. This is the thing I do. And just kind of did it until they retired and maybe didn't even stop to ask themselves if they wanted to be doing it because it was just sort of assumed. And yeah, I think, I don't know, we all went to therapy. (laughs) We're like, wait, what if I want to be happy? Um, and, And it got a lot harder at that point to figure out what to do with your time if you like actively want to be happy. So I don't even remember what the question was. Don't remember how I was. I'm following you a million percent, though. (laughs) So, no, I, I, I think you're right. It's like the metrics change from like support yourself to like purpose, fulfillment. Yeah, these things we now are chasing. That like, if we're being realistic, most jobs don't don't give give that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like you were weird. So you you were kind of comparing it to. to people you meet on vacation and I do kind of feel like they're sibling books and I feel like so much of Poppy's journey was like yeah what do I really want to be doing and you know where will I find purpose and all of that and then so much of Harriet's journey is is like a other side of the coin it's like what if I just want to have a job yeah. What if and and I think that's like a valid option mm-hmm. that at this point we're like so far into the weeds we've forgotten that's an option that you can simply have a job that it doesn't have to be your identity that you don't have to love it that you can just do the <laughs> bare minimum you know show up do your job leave at the end of the day turn your like email off and live your life because you spend so much time at work. And it's kind of a tall order to expect that you will actually love your job so much that you are happy to spend like more than half of your waking hours there. Right. A hundred percent. And it's something I really liked about Happy Place is kind of the play on of like, well, you said, um, you know, we're all at like going to therapy, asking ourselves like, well, what if I want to be happy? And even yeah. there's such um, even that concept is so tough because yeah. I I liked how Happy Place, it kind of starts out where it seems like the the, the friendship of this group is kind of contingent upon their memories and romanticizing their Mm -hmm. kind of same habits in this house and this setting. And it's like so focused on this setting. But then it ends with like the best friendships aren't contingent upon this setting. They work regardless of it. And I like wept as a person that wasn't sure if I wanted kids and like is still iffy being pregnant when um when uh, Harriet told Cleo like I don't need you to stay the same that was like such a yeah. simple line that meant a lot to me because I think they all kind of realized our happy place is yes together but like it isn't about like one destination it's be- yeah. being happy is about navigating the terms of the inevitable tension in life and finding yes. joy anyway yes yeah. And I mean, like I said, I, um, oh, sorry. I think I'm losing my connection is spotty. Let's get it. I'll wait for it to settle again. I'm getting excited for speak now Taylor's version. And 
revisiting lyrics like, you know, she's not what you think. She's an actress, but she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress, which could be offensive. But honestly, I'd be honored to carry that title if I was known for the things I did on a Helix mattress, because the things I do are just relax in an unbothered way because it's the best mattress imaginable. What a segue. I've had my Helix mattress for years now. We sleep on the Dusk Lux. That was a product of taking a very quick online quiz that factors in both you and your partner's needs because they know everybody's unique and everybody sleeps differently. So that's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So it asks you about your preference with, you know, soft versus firm. If you get hot at night, if you're a stomach side back sleeper, it thinks of everything because there are so many mattresses out there. And honestly, he, I've been telling you for years, but like truly their quality is unreal. Helix has harnessed years of extensive ma- mattress expertise to bring their customers a truly elevated sleep experience. They now have the Helix Elite Collection, which includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences, which is really important because they have hybrid designs with every mattress, like combining individually wrapped steel coils at the base with premium foam layers on top. Whether you need a more responsive foam to cradle your body for support in stomach and back sleeping positions or memory foam layers that provide optimal pressure relief for side sleepers, they've they've thought of everything. And I just can't speak more highly of this company, especially because they support military first responders and teachers and students by giving them a special discount on the site, which I always forget to tell you. But um, if you want a discount, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Again, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five. Do you love aviators but hate how they always get tangled in your hair? This has always been my problem with standard aviators. I, I can't, I love wearing them and I love the look, but it, it, they're too hard to wear on your head. And this company I've been working with lately, Shady Rays, that I've heard a lot of great feedback from you guys that also share this issue. They have these super cute, tangle free aviators. And they're pretty, it's just a smart product that solves a simple problem. You can get the classic aviator aviator look without the messy hair because of their custom patent pending nose piece that they designed specifically to avoid tangling. And now I can completely tell the difference in a big way where I'm, I'm converted and I'll, ne- I'll never go back. I love having the classic aviator and the ability to put them on my head. And they're just very lightweight frames that feel very high end. And the craziest thing of all, you guys. I lose and break every pair of sunglasses I own. And Shady Rays has the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So lose or break your pair, even on day one. They'll send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. I think that's pretty amazing and smart because that's always my hesitation with buying new sunglasses. All their protection program details can be found at ShadyRays.com. And every purchase supports the Shady Rays Impact Program, which works directly with nonprofits in their communities to empower and make adventure accessible for everyone, from childhood cancer patients to young adults with serious health conditions. Shady Rays is making a lasting impact on their lives through sunglasses. So yeah, there's like absolutely no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. If you don't love your pair, you can exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. I actually like their products and frames and quality and structure and feel so much that I bought a pair that aren't even aviators, even though I think that's like one of their most innovative products. I have a really cute pair of just oversized black sunglasses as well. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Head to ShadyRays.com slash Tangle Free with code BeThereIn5 for 30% off their best-selling Tangle Free Aviator and so much more. Save before they sell out. They like sell it all the time. And try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. That's shadyrays.com slash tangle free with code be there in five for 30% off. I remember what windy thing I just asked you. I, I remember. I remember. Okay. So 
you were talking about the part with Cleo um, and and Harriet just saying, like, I don't need you to be the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was so much of what I felt like I was going through with, like, the people in my life and worrying that they needed me to be the same, but also them having that same fear reciprocated. And specifically, I think bringing a baby into the friend group is like the perfect example of that. Um, Because the first kid, you're just sort of like, okay, well, this automatically changes every single thing that we're going to be doing. Like we have to factor in a baby. Um, And and so it's like a brave decision to be like, all right, I'm the first, like, we're just kind of going for it. But it was really amazing, like not considering myself either like a hugely a baby person, then having a close friend have a baby and being like, I am absolutely obsessed with this child more than <laughs> right. I've ever been with any living thing in my life, including dogs, which is huge for me. And, and just the idea, I think that like healthy love, there's like, you don't use it up. It's like love isn't the kind of thing where it's like by loving someone really well, there's like no love like left for anyone else. I feel like healthy love creates more love. And when you have that bond with someone and then like they introduce like a partner that you love, like, or, a, or you know, a partner that they love or a baby or whatever, it's like your, your love just grows and there's more of it than ever to make, you know, room for this new person. And yeah, I just think that's a really, a really beautiful thing that has been happening in my own life. And I do feel like all of my books are sort of coming of age stories. And this one just, I think, perfectly like made sense for where I'm at in my life. And I think, yeah, just the kind of early mid 30s um, life changes that are pretty common. Yeah, I think that, well, and this book too, I thought you did a really, not that you need my feedback, but like you did such a brilliant job of uh developing multiple characters but it's there without losing the intimacy um it was this a book with more character development and like group dynamic than your previous ones yes it was i think that was one reason that this book felt incredibly hard for me i'm so used to having the same amount of space to develop basically like one relationship (laughs) yeah um or like in the case of book lovers it there's like two it's like the romantic relationship and then there's the sister relationship and so this was a big change to have this wider cast and um yeah it was really hard it took a lot of drafts to figure out how to get enough on the page without it just being like too much too much nothing And I realized um, within a few drafts that the key was just making sure that like, yeah, there's like the fun group scenes and you kind of see how everyone interacts and their role that they play in the group, but also having those individual scenes where you understand why each person matters to Harriet. And so once I figured that out, once I realized I needed to give her some time on the page with, with each friend separately, that really unlocked those characters for me because I knew who they were like in you know the fun party atmosphere but I think a lot of us are very different in that environment than we are one-on-one mm-hmm. oh absolutely and I think I think it was interesting reading Harriet as a character because I think if you identify as a people pleaser 
you'd a- there's actually some looking inward that makes you find her behavior quite frustrating. Oh, yeah. But it's supposed to be because people pleasing is a thankless, frustrating game. Yeah. You're not really making the right decisions for yourself and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it is so ridiculous. And that was the other thing that was really hard about writing this because, yeah, you're so right. Even though I am a tried and true people pleaser. There is a thing where when you're reading a book and a character, like, I mean, it's the same thing as when you're reading a book and a character is making, like, a very obviously bad decision. It's so frustrating. You just want to shake them. And you're like, why would you do that? You know, like, like as if we all make perfect decisions in our <laughs> right, daily right. lives. Um, but I, I realized that the key with her was the most important thing was I needed people to understand this ridiculous acrobatic logic that was going on in her head because you don't have to think she's making good decisions at all. You are very welcome to notice that she is sabotaging her own life. Um, But I did want readers to, to not just be like, Oh, this person is um, stupid and someone has written them to make bad decisions to like, you know, to complicate a plot. It's like, yes, but also the whole point of this book from her standpoint is the fact that she is a people pleaser and, and kind of needs to get over it because it's not actually making things better in her life. And even though I think there are so many of us out there who are people pleasers, again, I don't think it's necessarily something that we want to read about. And I just knew it would be a really hard sell um, because it's not logical. It's like thinking about like, I don't know about you, but sometimes (laughs) I'll be like having a conversation with my partner and I'll be like, I think so-and-so is like mad at me we've had these weird tense interactions like kind of explain it and he'll just be like well why don't you just ask them and I'm just like oh my god no are you insane (laughs) yeah are you insane like in what universe could I possibly do that and it's so weird because if you're reading that in a book you're like this is the quote-unquote miscommunication trope this is so stupid but you're like no in real life people avoid confrontation oh yeah Like it would literally kill them. I avoid it like it would literally kill me. And when I stop and logically think through it, I know it won't kill me. So I'm like, what, you know, why am I so afraid of this? And it was, you know, it was a book that made me look inward because when you go through that logic enough, you follow all these ridiculous like loops and twirls and spins to try to understand, you know, why you're making the decisions that you're making it for me at least comes down to the fear that like as you know and for Harriet I think that like as soon as you stop being easy that love is going to be taken away from you mm. um and it's weird because even people who that I like even people who you don't like if you're a people pleaser you still usually kind of want to keep the peace yeah, like I want them to like this, me <laughs> yes exactly and it's like and once they like me then I probably will like them yeah right. um yeah, it's so sick and twisted, but it's it's also real and relatable and and there isn't a real threat, but it feels like such a threat. And I think that's the thing that's so magical about romance as a genre and what makes it so special and so vulnerable and also so divisive and polarizing between readers who haven't yet embraced it and those of us who love it is that we are valuing that unseen invisible struggle um, and that invisible threat as in taking it as seriously as like these teenagers have to save the world <laughs> right you know, for for various dystopian reasons like taking it as seriously as 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 anything else just saying like the fear that you feel in your body about being rejected is like a valid and um 
terrifying experience that is worthy of a 400 page book for a character <laughs> to kind of like try and try and get past that or to understand it at least. Yeah, I thought I, I, I've really, really enjoyed Happy Place for so many reasons. To speak to the romantic piece, like the sometimes when I'm reading romance, like I've been in a relationship now for like a decade. Yeah. I liked that these people had been together for a while, knew each other for a while, knew each other's bodies, knew each other's rhythm. But like we're finding that spark again. I thought that yeah. was kind of special um, that it doesn't have to be new to be really meaningful and, and spoken about like it's, some um, you know, a saucy read of two people that just met. Yeah. Um, but what I, what I noticed in the questions people asked about your female versus male characters was so interesting to me per the likability yeah. or the people pleaser piece, because people like need female protagonists to be likable, to be relatable, to behave. Mm -hmm. And in a, they, they, the complexities are seen negatively, whereas people could not speak more highly of your flawed male characters in a way that I find is so fascinating. I know. It really is interesting. I think, honestly, I think part of it is that when we get to know someone in real life and we're falling in love with them and those little vulnerabilities and flaws get exposed to us, like... It feels so sacred when someone's sharing that with you mm. and you just feel so honored to like be having that like bestowed upon you. And, you know, the longer that you're like with the person, the more that their flaws can like grate on you. You can be like, you know, maybe work, work on that a little mm -hmm. bit. But I think the experience of falling in love, which I think is similar to the experience of reading a romance novel, all of that is just really... Um, prized and valued those little those little details in a person but I don't think that we think of ourselves quite so fondly usually no. and I know that there would be I have to imagine there would be immense pushback to this idea but I think that the reason that women readers are so hard on women characters is that like we're lack of self-love yeah because we're hard on ourselves and we're terrified of being of being imperfect basically yeah. like I mean and I've talked about this kind of a lot in the last few months because as Happy Place was getting ready to come out I was so scared of how people were going to react to Harriet and I couldn't figure out why it bothered me so much like obviously I want my readers to love my books that's that's a given but I couldn't figure out why I felt so protective of this like fake person and why I, I wanted them to understand her and like her. And then I realized it's because I have put so many of my own like insecurities into this person and, and I'm having her work through them. And I want people to be gracious with her because I want people to be gracious with me to not to not see my flaws as like, you know, something that's kind of um, like insurmountable or unlovable. And looking back, it's so interesting because when I realized that, I thought about my my past three books and each of the heroines is so different. And I realized I had felt afraid every single time. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because I've been on Goodreads. <laughs> I know that, that you know, women do find a lot of female characters, un quote unquote, unlikable, um, while also often being able to enjoy Joe Goldberg from you. Um, 
but <laughs> Sorry, you're so right. I know. I mean, yeah. God, so, what a catch! What I know. A catch, that I know. Guy. Be like, he'll murder all of your friends for you, and then you. But that um, lucite cage. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, like part of that is that, like, just knowing that people are hard on female characters, but part of it too, really was feeling like. There's such if for a woman, it is so easy to be like Jan like if I'm going through each of the four books, like the fear, it's like it's so easy to be too emotional, to be too loud slash annoying, to be too uptight slash a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be like too like spineless and like weak or whatever. Like those are right. kind of the four main characters, the the way the harsh ways that they would describe themselves, that they would be afraid people see them and that they would kind of get um confirmation that people do see them that way and and putting the books out into the universe i was like so scared for all of those characters to be received that way because it does feel like when people treat your characters who are trying so hard to be self-aware and kind and gracious when people can look at them and just feel that loathing for those for them based on these like very moderate normal human flaws um it does make you feel like, oh, well, then I simply must be unlovable because I'm all of those things. I'm mm. too emotional. I'm too loud and can be very annoying. And like, I also love my work and have horrible work life balance. And maybe sometimes that makes me seem kind of like a bitch. And um, I also am a huge people pleaser and will avoid confrontation at all costs to the point that it can sometimes make relationships implode. So I don't know. I don't know. I just want I think I think there's a lot going on. I think um when we read, sometimes we want to believe, like I said earlier, that we would make the right decisions mm, yeah. and um, that we would do better than the main characters. But unfortunately, I don't think that's true for most of us. Like, it's certainly not true for me. And I also am like a person who loves reading about people making bad decisions because so much of my life is trying so hard all the time to make the right decision. And mm-hmm. so to me, I think it's like, an utter delight to read about a woman especially who's just doing the wrong thing um or or like yeah just making the obviously wrong decision I find that so cathartic as someone who never who never like lets herself do that sometimes I might trip into it but I I have feel like I've lived a very measured life and like the relatability of being like deep eight years into a relationship and still writing narratives in your head and like it it being hard to communicate like yeah any relationship you these miscommunications do happen and they're frustrating as plot points but realistic in the way that uh the the tension you feel in real life navigating those situations is drawn out there aren't quick fixes um and i just i thought you did a brilliant job of thank you capturing that relatable tension but also making it romancy enough where like, I love a forced proximity trope, yeah. like the proposal, you know, wedding yes, planner. It's like, same. I hate you, but I have to be in this room with you. Yes. Um, and I, I love how it started out that way. One of the funny things a lot of people harped on with your male characters I thought was interesting is like how unrealistic people found it that they use condoms. <laughs> I'm like, our standards for men are so low. They're so low. <laughs> they are so low. I know. I know. I thought that was really... Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think, you know, the, a funny thing about um, the UK edition of um, People We Meet on Vacation, which is called You and Me on Vacation over there, 
is in the U.S. version, obviously, like, Alex had a vasectomy. Right. Um, which, to me, makes total sense with this character. Like, he is so extra, like, so Virgo. And also his <laughs> mother died during childbirth. Like, mm. unexpected pregnancy would not be his bag. Um, and the U.K. was sort of like, this is so extreme. We have to, t-, like, you know, we don't think our readers will like this. They'll they'll feel really, like, sad for him, kind of. And I like, was just male like, birth control's too extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, wait, you know it's reversible, right? Um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it is it is interesting. I mean, maybe it's I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, is it really that unrealistic that somebody would use condoms or have I just lived like a very charmed life? <laughs> like, I don't I, know. That, I couldn't decide either. But I was like, you know, I if that's not normalized in the category, it's a great thing to normalize it because yeah. these are things, uh, qualities about people we not should be romanticizing, but expecting. <laughs> so if we yeah. like these male characters, I actually really appreciated that about them. Um, and actually, one of the things I was going to ask you, per the like pop culture universe you grew up in, like a big reason I like your books, I think, is because I genuinely grew up every year going on vacation with my family, thinking that would be the year I found love. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know, like Mary Kate and Ashley directed yes, VHS movies. Yes, that's why. That's literally <laughs> yes. why. Um, yeah, what our our lips are sealed. What was the one where they're like down in uh, Australia? Was that our lips are sealed? That's our lips are sealed. That that's yeah. where they uh they, there's like a diamondized, but they always meet two boys cute same boys. age, yeah. so cute, frosted tips, named like Blake or Riley. Yes, and they like ride a moped around. <laughs> yes, and, like, yeah, yes. Jet ski montage. Holiday That's in the so Sun true. was like the oh, Bahamas one that, that was one. like the dream. I was wondering if you watched those because I think that I really thought that that's how it worked. Like you oh, went totally. somewhere and met a hot totally. guy on the beach. Yeah. Or just like all summer long, I think. And I actually, so um, a good friend of mine who's from the same, you know, who's from the area just moved back and um, his wife, who's not from here, like is living in Cincinnati, Ohio for the first time. And so we went to like the local theme park and Kings Island I, Kings Island <laughs> yes Kings Island trip yes oh my gosh so we went to Kings Island and I was telling my friend who's not from here it was like all summer long through all of middle school I would come here like every single weekend with my friends and I would just think like we're gonna meet cute boys and I never once not a <laughs> single time and and like I would sometimes you'd be in line and you'd see other girls who had like clearly met a group of boys there and were having the like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen treatment and it was just like I don't understand how they're doing that um yeah I never once had a a vacation fling it, I just didn't have it in me did you no and it, not at all and the more I thought about it the my peak age of like dreaming of this was probably middle and high school when exactly. my parents wouldn't have let me ride off on a Vespa with a townie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. And you know what? Good for them. Um, I know. But you know, what's funny is even though my parents definitely wouldn't have, I also had two older brothers and like they definitely absolutely met girls on vacation and would like be off doing who knows what with them, like having their own separate mini vacation. And I would just be like <laughs> with my parents <laughs> dreaming about like meeting a Backstreet Boy and getting a hair wrap. (laughs) Yes, getting a hair wrap. (laughs) Never got one. Yes. Oh my gosh. My whole. It's like not a a surprise that I never met a cute boy on vacation. As someone who I think spent the first like fourteen years of her life existing in like a constant state of humiliation, I don't (laughs) think I could have handled that. I don't think I could have handled like talking to a stranger. 
Oh gosh, no, never. And I, I, I do think it's a funny thing that starts at a young age where I forget which book it was. Um, but kind of the, it's like you live your life primarily in anticipation for like a small window of time when you're like vacating your life. And even when I was like 12 and 13, I just wanted to be like wearing Roxy and Quicksilver. Oh my gosh, dead I on. wanted to be a different version of, like, I'm not Kate Bosworth in Blue Crush. No. I'm not, why I, did I believe I could shape shift into this like beachy gal for just I don't, a week? <laughs> beachy gal. I am really wondering now, because I just feel like you are recounting my exact childhood. And I just am like, was this everyone from our generation? Is there an equivalent of it that's happening for teenagers now? Or has the internet just changed everything too much for that? But yeah, fully, it is so true. It's like, and I think it's like, you know, it's kind of the same reason I think we still like vacations, and especially like a girl's trip is like, you just feel, it's so easy to feel stuck with like who you actually are. Totally. And then you're like, well, if I leave my my job and my house and like all, you know, everything that is my routine and I go somewhere else, then like maybe I'll be like a different me. Who knows what could happen? Um, yeah, that is so I, I love that you were like specifically like a Roxy and Quicksilver girl because I had so many um, just like just so many like inappropriate style choices for my lifestyle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so many skate shoes for a girl who's never Dance. been on a skateboard. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like there's just a lot going on in, in the early two thousands. I totally agree. And I, I just think, I don't know if it's better or worse now that like, I, I, my argument is like my expectations were based off of literal fiction. Like my, they yeah. were so high for my life that, yeah. but now it's like their, their social media, which is like a little real, I don't know if that's better or it's, worse. It's real enough to really fuck your brain up. Yeah. yeah, that's such a good point. I think it is absolutely worse. I think when you're like, because if you're basing your life off of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movies, you're still going to inevitably get to a point where you're like, oh, I guess that's probably not real. But even like logically knowing that about Instagram, it has not mattered. It doesn't help. Like, it doesn't help. You're like, yes, everybody else's face is perfectly symmetrical. They do not have <laughs> right. pores. Like, I fully buy into it as a 33-year-old. Like, I can't undo that. I think as an adult, wanderlust culture, like watching oh. people travel on TikTok and Instagram is so pervasive to your mental health because yes. I, I do always want to be on vacation. And when I am and I realize things are more expensive than I thought they were, it's kind of like a mindfuck of like, oh, this place is really crowded. But when people photograph it, it doesn't look crowded or this is really yes. expensive. And it's like tra it kind of sets up travel to be like even yeah. bigger than it is in your head because you're seeing how other people travel. And I often think elements of vacation that we don't talk enough about are like how it can be disappointing, crowded hot how people yes. get in bad moods i loved the tattoo scene in happy place because there's always one dark day <laughs> yes, there really is there really is you're just lying in bed like i want to be home so badly right now yes. yeah the dark day of vacation that's so real i i um saw my publicist last week and she's got a couple of kids and she was talking about trying taking them to a boardwalk and um like they waited in this really long line for popcorn like the kids just really wanted popcorn and they get up and it was they get up to the front and it was like, you know, like a bag of carnival popcorn and it was eighteen dollars. <laughs> and she was like, 
Well, we've been waiting in this line this whole time. My kids are like too young to reason with like we are getting $18 popcorn like it's too late. And then like did the same thing with these tiny little airbrush tattoos and like got up to the front and they were like $33 for two little just like five second airbrush tattoos. And yeah, I think like the missing thing that we're not thinking of is that all of those people who are having those vacations on Instagram are either very rich right or they're they're influencers to the extent that they're getting free stuff that like it's not oh you two could have this vacation you cannot have this vacation like you right i no you can't and the reality of 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 getting the right photo up on a main feed static post it's Gosh. a couple hours of sorting and editing that I don't know if I want to spend my vacation. I doing. absolutely do not. And also like another thing like Kings Island vibes. Um, I remember spending so much time as a kid too. like you, you, as you can see, I have like naturally wavy hair. It tends to frizz if it's like humid, especially just really kind of takes on a very different texture, et cetera. I'm a sweaty person. I have naturally curly eyebrows. There's a lot happening. And being in middle school and going to a theme park on like a 90 degree day, <laughs> 90% humidity, convinced I'm going to meet a cute boy, like having the worst hair and skin day of my entire life and like looking forward in line. And there's like a girl the same age as you. This was even like pre pre Instagram, just a real life girl your age who doesn't have braces and rubber bands, right. <laughs> like whose hair is like shiny and straight, who is somehow wearing high heels at a theme park and also knows how to do her makeup and it's not melting off of her face. And just that like constant feeling of like, how are other, how are right. other people doing this? Like, I don't know if you've been to a Disneyland or Disney World in the last five years, but there's always like a bunch of European women who look like they have just come out of like a Versace store. And you're just like, I look like I'm at summer camp at age 14. I know that th those are the moments that I'm like, yeah, this is a simulation because yes. it's it's like the it's the, the the lore of the woman wearing pool wedges. It's just like <laughs> is everywhere. There's always yeah. somebody who looks impossibly chic and unbothered for the climate, for the circumstances, yes. for the, the wear and tear on your feet. I think I've spent a lot of my life wondering or like, am I failing by not having that effortlessness or yeah. does that effortlessness really exist for some totally. people? Totally. Yeah. That's what I have to wonder too. I, I don't know because I, I don't, there isn't enough effort left in my lifespan to wear high heels to a theme park. Like, yeah, at this point it's not going to happen for you. No, it's not. And <laughs> it never, it never was, but if it yeah. was, then it's well, like right. I, I, I wish that I had my shoes out right now that are like my theme park shoes because they are heinously ugly. And that was like how I found out I probably have plantar fasciitis is I bought these hideous <laughs> shoes. I put them on and I was like, my back doesn't hurt. <laughs> I love um, these theme park shoes. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so, so Midwestern. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would love to know. I would love for somebody who is like a, a pool wedge woman to anonymously like admit if it's hard work or if like her feet just never hurt. I mean, honestly, I don't think it made it into. So the, the new book I'm working on, I feel like I can talk about this little section that doesn't actually thematically make sense. But 
it was just something I was thinking about, which is that like, it's impossible to be a laid back girl if you have food sensitivities. Mm. <laughs> like, Preach. You, yeah, like you can't be like the cool girl who's like, you know, the, the Gillian Flynn cool girl who's like, I'm eating hot dogs and drinking beer. You're just like, no, ma'am, I am not right. eating hot dogs and drinking beer. And I'm not ordering dessert, but not because I don't want dessert, but because I have an allergy to a very specific ingredient that it's very hard to explain to people. Um, but I think it's like kind of the same thing. Like it's hard to be a laid back girl if you have food sensitivities, if you have like chronic illness or pain and you have to be like really careful about your decisions. If you're very sweaty, it's hard to be a laid back girl. Mm -hmm. If you have flat feet, it's hard to be a laid back girl. Um, yeah. Yeah. So some, I think there are people who just like God liked more maybe. Yeah. It's yeah. If if there's anyone out there who's like the token mega hottie and you want yeah. to call into the podcast please yeah, i'd love to please. hear your cheer about your journey because I, I, I feel like we all don't feel like that person but then you see them exist and it's confusing mm-hmm. um do you have i have like really specific food allergies it's funny do you have those or just one mm-hmm. of your characters oh i do yeah um sorry i just put a piece of ice in my mouth for some reason while we're recording a podcast <laughs> had to let it melt um yes i for for the listeners out there i am allergic to an ingredient called carrageenan that is unnecessary, but is in absolutely everything. It is a seaweed um, that they use to make rablats sick. And it is banned for use in baby formula and anything for kids in the EU. Um, but the FDA is like, no, it's fine. There's, It's impossible to be allergic to it. But if you Google it, it is not impossible to be allergic to it. There are many of us. If you get sick every single time you eat ice cream or lunch meat, or just like anything with a creamy sauce, et cetera. Um, soy milk might be worth looking into carrageenan. Mm. Just saying. I love to raise awareness for niche food sensitivities <laughs> because yes. and, and I, I have this thing called oral allergy syndrome where like <laughs> raw fruits and vegetables make me so irrevocably itchy. It ruins my night. Oh no. But like there's so much nuance to it where it doesn't happen all the time. It depends where it's grown, yeah. it depends if it's cooked. And there's no bigger boner killer than being on a date explaining the nuances of your niche yes. food allergy. Yes. <laughs> I know. You're like, I how like because your only options are like, you just don't want to be a person who doesn't like fruit or vegetables. You're like right. and for me, it's like I don't want anyone to think that I'm like abstaining from dessert like I'm like I I promise I'm not abstaining from dessert I just don't want to go through the very long and complicated process of trying to explain this to a server who's going to go talk to the chef for a second come back and be like um yeah there's dairy and everything and I'll have to be like well no like I said it's not dairy right it's just this random thing that gets added to some brands of everything Right. And it really takes away from your mystique. <laughs> I know. Instantly. Instantly. It's one of those things where it's actually better to underexplain and just like pretend you're not hungry. But then people are just assuming you're like a hardcore salad girl, which I love a salad, but it's that's not what's happening. You right. just don't want to be violently ill, locked in the bathroom for seven and a half hours. Totally agree. It's like that's the only movie where that's happened is like Hitch and people it was like used as a bit for comedy. I don't know if it'd be as funny if like you had to EpiPen me. I know. (laughs) Seriously. But actually, then you get a nice sick bed scene when you're like in the hospital recovering from the EpiPen. Yeah, I did actually see a book announcement recently where it was like kind of mentioning in the thing that like the main character has IBS and like 
I have, I'm going to say, self-diagnosed IBS. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, wondering, I was like, is this going to be a huge plot point? Because, like, that I know it's, in like... the Publishers Weekly announcement. Yes, it was. <laughs> awesome. I, was like, I was like, it's got to be a huge plot point, because otherwise, how it'll make it in there? But it's like, is this going to be a fade to black situation? Or are we, like, getting the gory details? Because... It's not a good time to not feel good in a bathroom. No, I love that that was in like the boilerplate of the book. I know. That's amazing. I know. Wait, so can you confirm you are working on a next project? Yes. Yeah, I am. Um, theoretically, I am turning in a third draft in five days, but I'm at the point. This is like the point in every draft where I like print the whole thing out. And so it's like way too long. And I go through with a pen and then it takes me way longer to go back through and like make the changes on a computer so yes there is another book (laughs) i don't know when it'll be out you can't say much well i think it'll be next summer um i always say that like it might not happen because there's a part of me that's like when i turn this in is my editor going to be like you have once again again like just given me like a dungeon dungeons and dragons like manual or like i like i don't know it's like i'm in a fugue state so I never know if it's good or not until I've slept for a couple of weeks. And so theoretically, it's out next summer. Probably it's out next summer. I think that's what's hard about uh, managing like quality and speed is, is yeah. I cannot gauge quality without separation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so so you, your book is like fully the edits are done on it because you said it's coming out. When's it? Yeah, out? it comes out in January. So like the NetGalley crew just got a hold of it. Okay. Um, and I'm like an actively looking for a new therapist that can specifically <laughs> help me through this very unique type of um, self-surveillance. Like, you know, people are like trying to be nice. I think people get, I, I love the enthusiasm for books yeah. and reviews, but yeah, it's like, it's nonfiction. It's about the female millennial plight told through my experiences. I'm not a character. I'm a person. Yes. So when people are like the, the narrator is annoying. I'm like, well, like, you know, I'm annoying. Well, that yes. I'm annoying. <laughs> yeah. And um, part oh of the thesis gosh. is kind of like letting yourself be annoying, like what yeah. you like, not believing in guilty pleasures and just yeah. whatever. But it's funny that um, in trying to write that book to give people permission to exist, um, I very much don't feel like I can because yeah. I'm so self-conscious of the feedback. Well, I mean, it's one thing to live that way in your own life. And it's a very different thing when you have to do that on this large scale where you do stop being a person. And like, even with fiction, it should feel really different. It should feel like, oh, they're not calling me. annoying, <laughs> But it definitely does still feel like they're calling you annoying. And even just like the age of social media, it's so amazing the way that you can connect with readers. Like that's really special and um, sacred, but you also can accidentally see terrible things about yourself from a person who honestly, probably if you met in real life, they would like you fine because you would be nice to them. And like, if you're nice to people, usually they don't like hate you and wish you a cruel death. (laughs) but on the internet it's like wild west rules like they do wish you a cruel death i like feel bad saying this but i found comfort in you having that same experience with fiction because i was like maybe i really shouldn't have ventured into nonfiction if i'm not but i would i would be sensitive about anything i made i think but yeah sometimes people just like don't understand they really think that you're like 
Taylor Swift with like a whole team of managers running your inst- inst- Instagram instead of just like at home trying to watch Ted Lasso with your dog. And so you're like, <laughs> right. oh, a little notification. Let's see. Oh, this person said I'm so barf. <laughs> um, oh, right. And then yeah. I have a pit in my stomach for the next 36 hours. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, why? Because again, pretty sure if I met this person in real life, I would just be nice to them because I'm nice and then they wouldn't hate my guts. Um yeah, just be careful. It's it'll be okay. It's so good that you're going to be getting back into therapy. Um, it's just it's like you. It's this weird separation where you're like, I know that I am still a person, but I have to understand that to people who don't know me, I am not a person, and right. they're not talking about me because they don't know me. So they can't. They can. They can say like, I think this person's annoying or I hate this person, but they don't actually know you. So they're just talking about the public facing Kate. Like it's not you. Right. No, that's such good advice. And thank you. I'm sorry to turn this into my own therapy session. I'm just like in the thick of um, some fearless feedback. Oh my gosh. I can't, I mean, I say I can't imagine. And I mean that because I think I like blacked out and have blocked (laughs) out so much of my first few years of publishing. So I like can't imagine. (laughs) You you kind of hope that the uh, capacity for feeling things so strongly is what makes you a good writer and will make you continue to produce. But totally. Yeah, it's it's challenging. And I think I've heard you say before, because a lot of people ask about your creative process and I uh, that you kind of or like actually specifically with like sex scenes, mm-hmm. um, there's an, there's like the reader that you have to worry about later on. But the interesting journey of worrying about the people that do know you yes. <laughs> when you're writing stuff, how how do you get around kind of the awkwardness or do you feel not to project on? Do you, do you feel any awkwardness when writing steamy scenes? Are you sick of choosing between taking care of your skin and wearing makeup? If you find most cosmetics have ingredients that make your skin worse, which is me, or that most quote-unquote clean makeup just doesn't perform, you have to try Kosas. It's basically clean makeup for skincare freaks. Their complexion products are actually proven to make your skin better, which is crazy for makeup. You know, when it feels so heavy and you think it's like clogging your pores. This is, Kosas has has products that are like dermatologist tested, safe for sensitive and acne-prone skin, and hypoallergenic. And their revealer concealer is probably their most viral product, I feel like. It's not your mom's concealer. It's super creamy. It's weightless. It's a, it's a multitasker. I went hard for Contour Bacon Bright in America, as you know, in the mid-2010s. And this is a concealer that actually has really strong coverage, but it looks like my skin, which I think is what I'm after these days. It offers creaseless medium coverage with a smooth, radiant finish that looks like skin. It's, it's brighter, more even, and healthier. And um, you can take a five-step shade finder quiz to figure out your perfect match. But I mean... They had like a huge sale going on recently. I hope a lot of you scooped up products. I know I did. Millions of people have tried Kosas, making it one of the best-selling makeup collections at Sephora. And their popular award-winning revealer concealer is over a thousand five-star reviews. And they have this cool thing where if you go on the site, you can like try everything in this bundle box. I don't know. (laughs) There's so many good things I could say. I'm also obsessed with their sunscreen, obsessed with their highlighter right now. I'm kind of doing a full-face Kosas moment. And um, yeah, if you also don't want to choose between wearing great makeup and taking care of your skin right now kosas is offering our listeners 15 percent off your first purchase when you go to kosas.com slash be there in five go to kosas.com slash be there in five for 15 percent off your first purchase plus free shipping on orders over 40 dollars. that's kosas.com slash be there in five last but not least i have to thank the official hero of my pregnancy so many of you guys have reached out about trying these bras from evelyn and bobby and I think you, you you understand pretty immediately what I'm talking about. Evelyn and Bobby was founded by a size 34G woman who was sick of the pain, discomfort, and posture issues that her underwire bras were causing her. 
And after searching for a better bra and coming up empty, she knew she couldn't be the only one who was struggling with the 91-year-old underwire technology and decided there has to be a better solution. And we love women in STEM. We love to support female innovators. Only 13% of patents in the U.S. are awarded to women. What I think is cool about Evelyn and Bobby's founders, they, she holds six of them. And these are utility patents. And this matters because their wire-free bras actually like legitimately function differently than any other product on the market. It's not just like a branding move. They have a proprietary EB core that's a uh, technology that's a 3D sling that was meticulously engineered to lift and support from below. Um using the principles uh, of a word that I struggle to pronounce, but basically what it means is using nature and our bodies to guide our design to comfortably support up to a K-cup. And they, this company, Evelyn and Bobby, exists to amplify your beauty by providing you products that you can forget about, you know? We, we forget that beauty and purpose are inextricably linked. It's not just about the optics. Like, I, this, they relieved me of so much pain, um, especially as my chest grew in my pregnancy, and I just could shout them from the rooftops. And lately I've been wearing the Bobby Scoop. It's their latest wire-free bra. It has their thinnest straps yet and a deeper scoop neckline in the front and back to provide comfortable, lightweight support. And I don't know. I just can't recommend them enough. I wear them every day. They have tanks. They have also great underwear. But their bras are, are smoothing, seamless, invisible underclothing. They mold to fit your unique shape in one to three wears. So give it a few wears, I will say, is an important thing you need to do. There have been a lot of bra companies over the years that we've talked to as sponsors that whose products I tried and I just like couldn't stand behind. And this company doesn't do a lot of marketing because their word of mouth is so strong because I think it's alleviated so many women from pain and discomfort and, most importantly, being designed to fit a wide range of bodies and um, sizes and changing needs. And I just can't speak more highly of Evelyn and Bobby. And Evelyn and Bobby is giving Be There in Five listeners an exclusive discount code to try Evelyn and Bobby bras risk free for yourself. Use code Be There in Five on EvelynBobby.com for 15% off your first bra. That's Evelyn Bobby, spelled B O B B I E, with code Be There in Five for $15 off your first bra. How do you get around kind of the awkwardness or do you feel not to project on? Do you feel any awkwardness when writing steamy scenes? I do, but I really try to um, disengage that part of my brain because I think just like it is hard to fall in love if you're like letting your own shame and insecurity get in the way, like writing about love in general is that way. Like it's it's that way if you're writing banter. It's so easy to be like, oh, my God. If somebody saw me having this conversation with someone I had a crush on, I would just die on the spot and turn to ash. And so I think the sex scenes are just like an amped up version of that. Um, I really like write them pretty quickly and edit them kind of quickly the first couple of times. And then eventually I'll slow down and just like have to do the kind of minutia of it. But I really try to convince myself no one's ever going to read it while I'm writing it because I want to get swept up in the character's emotions and thoughts and let them have those emotions and thoughts and not be judging them and trying to make them like palatable to people, you know, to, to readers, right. because it's like the characters, they have to be honest to, to themselves. It has to be, it has to feel true. It has to feel like what, you know, what they would actually be thinking and feeling. Um, it is hard. I do think when, when Beach Read first sold, I like hadn't really told anyone that it existed. And so I told my parents and was like, I'm, you know, I sold a rom-com. I'm really excited. And then I like started making jokes about how they were absolutely not allowed to read it. And no one who was like related to me was allowed to read it. But they all they all read. Of course, <laughs> they all read my books and it's fine. Um, you know, it, the first the first one was the hardest. You're like, yeah, just being seen as a full 
sexual being by your immediate family. Right. Um, but yeah, I, you know, they've been very, very supportive and writing is just always like, it's always a tender and vulnerable experience. Like you were saying, it's like, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I don't know. And I think it's with the people who are close to us, it's always really hard for them or it's often really hard for them to, um, with fiction, like separate you from the work mm -hmm. and, and not think, oh, this is, you know, my sister or my daughter's like thoughts and feelings and to accept that it really is a character. But with the more books that I put out, I think the easier that gets for them because, you know, the first couple of things they're like, is this like, you know, is the mom me? <laughs> like, is the dad me? Like that kind of thing. Yes. And then like the longer that it goes on, the more they're like, okay, these are obviously just characters. And there might be little hints of details that have been pulled from real people that they might recognize, but that doesn't mean that those characters are those people. I appreciate the way you articulate sex scenes because you're not like, you know, I think I get a little squirmy with like throbbing member. Yeah. You know, like the old, member, yeah. the old classics. Uh -huh. I think you describe it in a way that like a human person describes <laughs> sex, which I appreciate. <laughs> well, I'm kind of worried about how it's going to change because like I started writing romance before I was really reading it. And there were certain things that would definitely cause like a shudder down my spine earlier on but the longer that I read romance the more yeah. I'm kind of like inured to all of it and so there are times now when I'm writing it where I'm just like am I still writing this kind of the same level of detail as before or have I moved on to throbbing member without noticing <laughs> um, because you do you just get more comfortable with it like the more that you're reading it there are still some words that are just like visceral to me that I can't handle moist is not one mm. of them but I don't really see that in a sexual I'm not really into what about that supple like, supple can be very gross to me <laughs> um i'm trying to think what it oh this is a this isn't a lot of historical romance um but while talking about vaginas the word cleft gets used a lot it gets thrown around as like the cleft of the vagina <laughs> and i have a very hard time with that because then i'm just i mean i guess i am picturing a literal like camel's toe at that point yeah, that's like the third cleft that would come to mind when I even heard I the word cleft. <laughs> I don't think it would have even come to mind, weirdly, for me, other than now knowing that that's a way that it does get described sometimes. I, um, that, I'm that i new-ish to romance myself, and you're right. It, it, it You do kind of um, become numb to yeah. things and forget what's like how to operate. What's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's one thing that I really love about it though, because I do think we were raised in such a repressed, like shame based oh, totally. environment. Abstinence or, only. Yes. And I think that it's all of those things are so cringy and hard for us to, um, to, to even like read or say, because it was like, so everything was so taboo. And so I feel like it's actually a really, healthy thing to even read something that isn't your bag and be like okay not into cleft now I know that um <laughs> yeah. but I feel like it's like it's I don't know there's just something kind of nice about just I don't know just like opening yourself up, up to all of these different like depictions of sexuality and just being like I guess this isn't a big deal I guess that this is fine and I shouldn't feel ashamed for reading this oh absolutely and I think there was one quote I wrote down from um Happy place. You have a way of describing things that like, okay, with my husband, I never know how to describe that. Like I have this generalized magnetic, ma like magnetic attraction or like, um, it, his like general physicality is 
something very appealing to me in a way that I can't yeah. pinpoint. And there's something about his presence that just like is very comforting to me. And when you said I curl against his side, his warm arms settling over me, his sweat and detergent and deodorant and toothpaste knitting together to clock me, me into my favorite smell. I was like, I love that. Um, that to me is even very sensual of just like loving somebody's essence, scent, yeah. the combination of things that represents their like existence in front of you is like deeply romantic yeah. to me. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I think the smell of sweat, I feel like specifically it's such an intimate scent and you don't like most people's. Right. But you do like some, like, you know, like your partners hopefully. And like there are friends who I think that their sweat smells really good. And then there's the whole thing of like, if you're anxiously sweating, it smells really bad. But if mm -hmm. you're just like out in the sun and get sweaty, it smells really good. Um, yeah, it's scent is such an important thing for for building attraction, I think, in books. And it's really hard because usually it is kind of this like. In, like, I don't know, it's like not something you can pinpoint what it is, what you're smelling like. You're like, like they're objective, not just their objective good looks. It's like, yes, every small detail is like intoxicating yes. to you. Objective good looks are so far below like personalized attraction in like the I don't know in the order of things for me um I mean yeah I, I feel like objective good looks don't have to be like earned in any way right and um they probably won't last so like right. having someone that you're just like attracted to on a visceral level is its own thing entirely and that's the magic of, of like a fictional dynamic is like being able to describe chemistry, which is something that's hard to pinpoint. You just it's feel so it. Hard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. your characters always have the most amazing chemistry, especially with banter. Like, I think, do you think banter's hard to write or does that come easily to you? It mostly comes easily to me, but Happy Place was a little bit tricky because I, when I imagined the book at first, it was this very frothy screwball scenario. And then writing a couple who was together for a very long time and then like broke up did not turn out to be this frothy screwball process. Um, and so, so much of my revision was just trying to make the book funnier and big, like really pushing into what I think is funny about the scenarios that they're in mm -hmm. while also leaving a lot of room for just angst and nostalgia and pain. Um, so it was harder for this one than it has been in the past. And also I think like Wynn's personality is just different than the other male leads and and so is Harriet so they're not neither of them is quite as talky I think mm, as yeah. some of the past characters so trying to still have them be funny together without it just kind of feeling like Nora and Charlie or like January and Gus who I think are all like much talkier people well and I like it kind of their relationship versus the friends. Like, I feel like I'm a little bit different, a different version of myself with every intimate relationship I have. Totally. And I feel like Harriet was a little different with him than she was yeah. with her friends. And um, I only have a couple minutes left, so I have to ask you a just a couple quick things that so yeah. many people asked. A lot of questions about how you come up with the names. Um, I use nameberry.com for, like, just coming up with a lot of them and just, like, writing a list. And, you know, they have all of these, like, really hyper-specific lists where it's, like, cool, cool boy names. Old for, money like, boy names. Yes, exactly. Um, I know. I'm like, well, you're pregnant, so you know all about this probably. Yeah. Um, so there's some of that, but I, I think that the real key is, first of all, 
I don't want all of the names to sound the same. Like I don't want them all to start with the same letter or to all end with the same sound. If it's like a Y or an A or whatever, it's like you have to have kind of like diversity of that and diversity of like syllables. Um, and then also like you have to just like think about who their parents are, which is kind of weird. Oh, yeah. But yeah, like if they if they're not like a self-named person, then you have to think about like how why would their parents choose this like specific name? And um that does a lot. That does a lot for for figuring it out. Like I I knew like who would have like kind of family names, like Wynn and uh Cleo both like in a way have family names. Like she's named after her grandmother. And he is named after like his his mother's um, maiden name is his first name. Um, so yeah, just kind of knowing like who who values <laughs> like that kind of naming thing or like who wants something that's like really different. Like Poppy and people we meet on vacation, her parents were a little bit more eccentric, and um, I knew that they would want something like bright and playful. And Alex and that like his parents are like very repressed midwesterners and he's also incredibly normal and so i wanted him to have an incredibly Mm. normal name so that poppy would sort of be like you know she wants so badly to be like an individual that i think that meeting someone named alex from her hometown who's wearing khakis is just sort of like her perfect nightmare so yeah there's a there's a lot it's so it's it's I don't know it's not like an exact science it really is this weird thing where it's like you kind of know when it suddenly clicks and I found some old notes from before I wrote book lovers and Charlie's name was like something else and I don't remember what it was but it wasn't Charlie and I think he maybe went through a couple before I settled on Charlie and it felt right January and Augustus being like months was that on purpose well she was on purpose so I knew from the beginning again like I knew I just knew her dad so vividly in my mind and I knew mm-hmm. that he would name her January and why and all of that. And then with Gus, I want I knew he needed to have a name that sounded like very like serious and literary, but also to have gone by like a different name when she knew him the first time through and so I mm-hmm. knew like Gus right away I liked I liked how just kind of like simple and short and kind of like a little bit silly that name is. Yeah. Um and then I had to be like, okay, well, what's Gus short for? And I feel like the only other option would have been like Gustav and it wasn't going to be that. So it <laughs> right. wasn't actually intentional that they were both months. Um, but I do think it makes total sense in retro- retrospect. It totally does. And I have to ask you just because I, people know that you're a big Swifty and so are listeners of this podcast. Do you have like T-Swift songs you can assign to like the big four? of your the last books I do I mean it's so tricky because you could probably come up with so many and so any any that I say people will have other thoughts that you know they feel differently about I was saying for um I mean partly just because Midnight's had just come out but for Happy Place I was saying Maroon which I do think feels oh yeah very accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but also like this is me trying and Mirrorball is like very Harriet and the Archer is like very Harriet. So there's like just so much. There's so much. Thank you. know, Thank you, Taylor, for blessing Pathological us with, people like, pleaser. She just called yes. herself. Yes. So it makes sense yes. that Harriet oh. would have a lot of. Oh, her. yeah. And you're losing me also is a very good uh, happy place 
song too and like last um, kiss too like yeah thinking about Ugh. how that she felt like during the breakup yeah. that was well and i did give her like not the same short break like it wasn't the same length as the joe jonas breakup phone call but she did get dumped <laughs> yes, on like a very she short did. phone call so there's a lot from from that era that she could probably relate to in the taste way that. yeah um and then like beach read i'm not like the hugest fan of this song i think it's cool but I feel like Snow on the Beach, everybody was like, oh, my God, she did that for Beach Read. Um, oh, yeah. So there's that. I mean, there's there. Let me think. I think like Reputation era Taylor is like a little bit Nora, which is fun. Antihero, I feel like is also a little bit Nora. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. A lover. Like, OK, Lover people. When when I've been asked before what like albums I would assign, people said that Lover would be people we meet on vacation. But I feel like the song Lover does make me think of January and Gus because I think it's that feeling of like playing house with someone when you've just like mm, fallen so yeah. in love that your world has become this sort of like like you have like a little clubhouse that you're living in and like everything's exactly how you want it to be and you're like wait I'm a grown-up I get to make like whatever decisions I want and totally that, that feeling of being in love uh like real real deep love for the first time I feel like um is very January and Gus anything i love that do you have do you have thoughts on any of them well i my first thing is i I, because if you i was worried for your film adaptations because i know taylor swift songs are expensive and i just was like do you worry about managing people's expectations yes i mean i almost feel like we'll have to put it like if they they probably would have to pay for it twice if they put it in the trailer but i'm like do we just put it in the trailer so everyone knows before they go in what song we got um (laughs) yeah that is going to be really hard. It's going to be hard. I feel like there's um, I, she's so good at um confessional songwriting, and yeah. you're so good at writing characters that are very um self aware and confessional and, and emotionally available that that there being overlap, there there are endless ways I could analyze your characters through her songs. Yeah. And I think the point is there's no one never going to be one right song, one perfect song. It's up to interpretation, which is kind of the point. Yeah, exactly. And again, like she has written a lot of songs. Yeah. <laughs> she has written a lot of songs. So at this point, there's just a lot to pull from. It's not like you have two albums and you're like, oh, well, this one song really fits this. There is just so much to work with. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, I guess I know. And I heard you say on one interview, like you called the lyrics to would have, could have, should have surgically vicious. And I was like, Oh my, oh my God, I could do it a 90 minute podcast with somebody about same. <laughs> that song is so good. And I really have, it was probably the same time that I said this. I have interrupted multiple parties to be like, can I just read you these lyrics to people who are like, not familiar with <laughs> Taylor Swift, really just be like, just reading them the part. Um, if I were some paint, did it splatter on a promising grown man? Just, like a promising grown uh, man the first time uh, I, heard, I have I have goosebumps just I know. hearing you recite same, it back to me same it's so good it's so good yeah give me back my girlhood it was mine first Gosh. it's just it's such a big um reconciling of so many of your weird romantic experiences when you thought you were so mature and ready to yes. handle it and now you're it's, processing it as a grown woman you're like that wasn't right I know it's so crazy I mean and even just like I think that's again like I think that's why we love her so much is that feeling of growing up alongside someone so that you're always kind of like on their side. You know, you're at the age where you do still think that like a girl can steal your boyfriend and then you're older. Yes. Um, and 
This yeah. is a better than revenge to would have, could have, should have arc yes. is a relatable <laughs> one for many of us. It really <laughs> is. It really is. That is like age 15 to age 35 right there. <laughs> yes. And speak now. Taylor's version is coming out Friday, mm-hmm. which is an exciting journey. I know. Us. I know. I am really curious to hear everything. I know. Me too. Well, I'll let you go. This was so wonderful. If I can ask you like a cheesy, obvious question to yes. conclude, um, do you, what do you consider your personal happy place? Well, honestly, I usually say Lake Michigan. Um, I also love being at home. Those are like kind of my two competing answers. Um, I love being at home and I love being on this one very specific vacation where it's not crowded and you're not too hot and (laughs) nothing is that expensive because you're at Lake Michigan. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Because also uh, that Lake Michigan's like a realistic vacation spot. It It can always be in yeah, you can go there. If you're in the Midwest, get yourself you to Lake Michigan. Go there. Yeah. Get yourself to Kings Island. You <laughs> can go there. <laughs> I think that's what's on the billboard. It's like, you know, Disney was the happiest place on earth and they were like, Kings Island, you can go there. <laughs> the most attainable place on yes. earth. <laughs> yes. So I true. Emily, you're a delight. I'll let you know when this comes out and you're the best. I'm such a fan of you yours are. and I can't wait to see where your career goes from here. I have no doubt it'll be, I, I think you are um, a Nora Ephron, Nancy Myers type for the rest oh. of us. And thank you for all thank of your great you. work. That is so nice. And I'm excited to read your new book too. So send me that one when it exists in a final form. I won't get to a net galley. So like have them send me one when it's, you know, yeah. there. <laughs> Absolutely. Will do. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. This thank was really so wonderful. Much. I mean, wasn't she just lovely? I just had, I could have talked to her forever about all the things they are. See, I feel like our the Venn diagram of our interests, as they say, is a circle. Uh, but yeah, I love her books. I The only one I haven't finished is Book Lovers. Um, one listener wrote in and said they cut bangs because of Nora. And I was like, well, that's not it. That's influence if I've ever heard it. My God. Uh, but yeah, read Beatread, People We Meet on Vacation, Happy Place, uh, Book Lovers. She also, she started in YA and pivoted to romance kind of like over the course of the pandemic, I gather, which I forgot to ask her. She has so many good books, delightful human, uh, and a lot of her pop culture inspiration. I think we uh, all share. And like, this was one of my most fun interviews. I really loved this. So thanks for attending another one of Best Book Clubs. Next week, we're reviewing Speak Now Taylor's version with a very special guest I'm excited about. And until then, I'll I'll do my like review of some of like the new songs and stuff. Maybe Dear John um, and Better Than Revenge on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash be there in five. Hopefully I'll put that up. I mean, I don't know when you'll be listening to this, but like Friday, as soon as I can. I'm excited because I have friends in town this weekend, but I'll try to stay up and uh, listen to speak now because I would hate to speak later when we're all excited about something. Hope everybody has a great weekend and uh, come back next week. Thank you for the privilege of your time. As always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear.